Welcome to Raising Our Voices for Health Equity, a podcast series sponsored by Vaz Advisors. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldon. In our ongoing effort to shine a light on health equity, today we will discuss the many health issues facing American Indians in our country. Joining us today is Joette Walters, the new CEO of the Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation on the Navajo Nation in Arizona. We know that American Indians fare worse health outcomes than their white counterparts when it comes to many health issues, including diabetes, cancer, kidney disease, and obesity. Today, Joette will help us understand many of the health inequities American Indians face, what her hospital is doing to try to bridge that gap. Welcome to the show, Joette. Good morning. Thank you. Well, Joette, I want to jump right in. First, I want to say congratulations uh, on being named the new CEO of the hospital in Tuba City. Um, And while you're new to this role, uh, you're certainly not new to that hospital. So would you just take a moment, Joette, to tell our listeners about you and your background and your history there at the hospital? I have worked at Tuba City Regional Healthcare since 1997. I started my career here as a registered nurse. I had finished my degree in nursing and um, found a job here working um, among our uh, Native people. I am from the Tuba City community, so coming back was just part of fulfilling what I had wanted to do, which was to come back and help my people. Um, And so I was thankful to have had the opportunity, and I've been here again as a registered nurse working in the ICU in various areas of the hospital. And then um, did several leadership roles in the organization, even served as the deputy chief nurse officer. And then in 2017, I expanded into more an executive role as the chief operating officer, working with our CEO, Lynette Bonar. And then in 2019, we had this opportunity. Part of it was the succession plan. And um, as Lynette was looking forward to her retiring one day, she had provided this opportunity for an associate executive officer. I applied and, and I was awarded that opportunity. And so I was associate executive officer mentoring with Lynette since late 2019 up until two weeks ago, January 17th, 20, um, 2023. And here I am, the CEO of the organization. Again, uh, having worked here, I've been mentored here. Um, my nursing career and my leadership career has all been here at Tuba City Regional, and I'm very thankful for that. Wonderful. Congrats again, Joette. It's just a, it's great to, to see you in this role and well-earned for sure. Um, Joette, I understand the Navajo Nation is the largest tribe in the U.S. by both land mass and population. In fact, I've read that the Navajo Nation is larger than the state of West Virginia. Um, with that in mind, tell us a little bit more about the hospital there in Tuba City. For example, how many beds do you have? How many patients are you serving? How many staff are at the hospital? Uh, are there any plans for growth, for expansion? Give us a little bit of a, of a picture of, of the institution that you're now leading. Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation was an Indian Health Service Corporation before 2002. In 2002, our Navajo Nation Council and uh, Board of Directors our leadership proposed going what we refer to as going 638, which is um, tribal self-governance. And in doing so, we compacted with the Indian Health Services to assume the role of caring for the tribal community. We serve the Navajo Nation, the Southern San Juan Paiute, and the local Hopi um, community of Monkopi. They are all part of our um, user population. And um, since 2002, we've been operating as a tribal organization. In this time, we have been able to improve access to care, moving beyond the IHS model of primary care, 
We have expanded to include specialty care service. So we have campuses. We've also worked very diligently in, in our mission to improve access to care. And by that, I mean we have expanded our campus to Lichi, the community of Lichi. We have a primary care clinic, also in Flagstaff, Arizona, with the Sacred Peaks Health Center, a clinic in Cameron, Arizona. We also have two mobile vans, one medical mobile and one dental. All these things have come into fruition because we're tribal self-governance. And with our board of directors and their visionary leadership, We've been able to also include programs such as oncology. In fact, um, in 2018, we opened ground to a new program, our oncology, the first oncology cancer um, program on Navajo and also in the lower 48 states. So really, um, we're thankful to have that support from our board of directors and our, our former CEO, Ms. Lynette Bonar, as they did that pioneering work to open our, our oncology. We're also looking forward um, in several other areas this year, looking forward to long-term care center, which will help serve the needs of our elderly population by providing 60 beds for um, long-term care assisted living, and then 30 beds for skilled rehab nursing. Our patients would have to go off the reservation for either skilled nursing or uh, long-term care for our elders. So this is a really good opportunity for to provide another service to our local community. We've also um, are working with the IHS again as they are building a clinic out in Bottaway Gap. This clinic is another primary care clinic. We are working on contracts as we speak now to secure the um, oversight of that clinic in Bottaway Gap. And um, we hope to be uh, beginning the design phase of that clinic. And a tentative um, opening date would be in late 2025 for our new healthcare uh, clinic in Bottaway Gap. Again, another example of how we're able to expand care and continue to advance our mission. We're also going to be constructing 48 new housing units for our staff. Unlike other hospitals, with under the IHS model, they do provide staffing quarters for employees. And so we do have staffing quarters. However, the challenges in rural Arizona, and particularly on the Navajo Reservation, is housing. And so to recruit more employees and more staff, we are having to build more houses. And so I'm really excited about that because I think that'll help improve our recruitment and retention of um, healthcare professionals to our facility. So those are a lot of the projects we're working on this year in expanding our campus. Wow, an amazing plan. It's a great overview to give us a sense of what's happening there um, at the hospital. Uh, Joette, I know that American Indians obviously clearly are not a monolith, but in your experience of many years in, in um, working in healthcare, um, in Indian country, are there three or four top healthcare issues facing American Indians? For example, I've read that diabetes um, is a major health challenge facing our Native American population. Um, any thoughts about that? The Native American population, particularly in our area, our Navajo, Hopi, San Luis Southern Paiute, and tribes, we see a lot of one, diabetes, two, cancer, and also alcohol and substance abuse. Those are the typical top three, unfortunately, that our community is challenged with dealing with. I think with the pandemic, I think it highlighted a lot of the issues that surround our communities that created some of these conditions. Things like not having water, indoor plumbing to homes, um, overcrowded living conditions, multiple generations um, living in a home. 
some of our homes still don't have electricity. And so when you think about those challenges and having to take care of yourself, managing your diabetes, uh, managing your infections that your family might have, and then living in a crowded home, how all these things kind of just complicate and can make um, healthcare really challenging to achieve the best possible um, health for your family. On top of that, we deal with a lot of depression, alcoholism, and substance abuse in our community. We have very um, high poverty rates in our local community. It's hard to find a job here, so people struggle with finding jobs, and a lot of times families have to relocate off the reservation to get a job, or they have to negotiate um, having to leave their family so they could get work. Um, those are the kinds of challenges, and I think those things just add to the um, many challenges of just trying to take care of your, your family and live and to be healthy. Um, those are the things that we deal with a lot here and that we see a lot of on the reservation. Joette, I want to ask you um, just a quick question about, um, I, I know I've, I, some people have asked if things are so challenging there, why, why don't folks just leave? You know, why don't they go elsewhere? Why don't they go where there's more opportunity? Can you just talk for a minute or two about why folks stay there, what the connection is to the land and sort of the spiritual nature of that connection? Yeah, and that's a really good question because um, even myself, I've asked that question, why am I here? You know, it's home. One of the things really important and about the Navajo, the on the Navajo land where we live, you know, we're surrounded by so much beauty. One of the really important things to Navajos is, is being inside the four sacred mountains. It offers protection. There's a belief that it offers protection. This is where uh, the creator had put us. And so you'll find a lot of Navajos really, you know, this is where home is. That's just where home happens to be. And even myself, I started my career out in a whole different um, avenue and had not intended to come back, but the needs were here. Our elders are here, our culture is here, um, our connection to the land is here. And so, you know, you want to make it better for your family and you want your children to have an even better life and have better opportunities. So it's important to come back and try to make things better here as it was for me, uh, for my family. And um, I think that's just why we, it's not about just leaving, it's the connection to all of it and to being healthy while you're here. That's great. That's great. I, I love, you know, how you're sort of talking about the future and plans and, and improving the infrastructure, improving healthcare to sort of draw people back or help people stay. You mentioned earlier, Joette, the um, Indian Health Service, IHS, which is a, a part of the federal government. Um, I understand in my research that the IHS is routinely underfunded. I, I read that the IHS pays less than one half per capita for American Indians for their health care of what the prison system pays per prisoner for health care. Uh, you know, is that true? Is it a myth? I hear people say, well, you know, the federal government pays for health care for American Indians. Is that a myth? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So the IHS is underfunded. I think that's not a myth. I think you can go into any of these websites and see that. Um, the National Indian Health Board has written documents about that. It's pretty clear. That, and that's one of the challenges because it's, the IHS is not meeting its trust responsibilities in taking care of the Native people. The Navajo, particularly, where, where we're serving, we're underfunded. But because of 638, we're able to, to do certain things that the IHS hasn't been able to do. And, and that in itself is one reason why we went 
and, and move to self-governance, a self-governance model. The IHS does have a federal trust responsibility. It's not meeting its responsibility. And as such, there are things that they don't cover. The IHS uh, model is primarily covers primary care. But there are so many things that challenge our people in terms of their health, diabetes, alcohol substance abuse, cancer, that aren't covered. We lack mental health practitioners to, to deal with these things. We lack a very active behavioral health program, which would help address some of these concerns. Funding for um, healthcare fairs facilities in general, we're in a very aged building. So all these things make it challenging. And the IHS yet hasn't funded us to, to help fill these needs. As a tribal 638 facility, we had the opportunity to, um, to open our first um, cancer oncology center. And in doing so, we met a challenge that the IHS wasn't able to do. The IHS does not cover specialty care, um, such as oncology or elder care. It's written in their policy, at least for elder care, but we don't get the funding for that. And so that falls back to organizations such as ourselves to find funding, to secure funding to provide that care. So again, um, Tuba City Regional Healthcare Corporation has moved outside the boundaries of just or the limits of primary care and have moved beyond that to meet the greater needs um, affecting our population. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute, because again, I mean, uh, you know, history was made uh, in Tuba City when you opened the um, first ever full-time cancer center on native land um, in the U.S. And again, congratulations on that to you, to Lynette. I know that was a, you know, a, a vision of, of the team there and the board there. So again, kudos on that. It's extraordinary. Can you give us an update of, on how things are going at the cancer center? Can you give us a sense of how many cancer patients you're serving there? And, and what does it mean to have culturally adapted cancer care right there in your community? So opening the cancer center was probably one of the highlights of my career, having the opportunity to work with Lynette to do that. So in 2000, when did we do that? To 2018, we actually opened our, our doors and we started seeing our first cancer patients. The first year, we, we, um, our vol first volume of patients was 158 patients that, that came through our doors that we were able to treat and to serve locally. That number has only increased in this last year to 400 patients in a year. That's 400 patients, but if you multiply that by how many treatments and how many visits, that they might receive, that's close to, I, I, I believe our total visit count is at least 3,500. And so we're able to provide that care locally. And that's really important because prior to this, our members, our tribal community family members had to go to Flagstaff, which is 75 miles one way, or to Phoenix or to Tucson for the more specialized programs, oncology programs. And those are greater than 150 miles one way. So if you had to see your, um, your provider, the current therapies, that's a lot of miles. That's a lot of time away from home, away from family, and then costs that you incur as you travel, even having to leave work to do this. And so, some people, unfortunately, we've heard stories of some people just opted not to get treated because of the cost, the mounting cost that came with it. Some folks delayed in getting um, their diagnoses because 
it would cost them a lot to go off to get the diagnoses or to find a specialist to, to provide those, those cares. And so, unfortunately, those are the things that were lost. But now with the cancer center here, um, our patients who come through our doors get to see one of our oncologists. We have um, two oncologists on our campus, but we have access and active referral program. Patients can come and get seen and get treated. Um, they don't have to wait three or five or four months to get an appointment. We can get them appointment pretty, pretty quickly. And so that's been one of the major um, benefits of having the care here. That's, it's, it's, it's outstanding. And patients, again, don't have to travel far, which is yeah. just, you know, I had a family experience where we had to travel far, and that was before the cancer center was here. And so knowing the challenges of having to do all that and negotiate time off from work and negotiate all those things with your family, it's, it's important that we're able to provide the care here. But also not just provide care here, but to provide care in a, in a place that knows you family that I know and my own personal family experiences, we, we were taking our family member to off-reservation hospitals and they don't know us. They don't know our language. They don't know our food. They don't know all those things that um, people don't realize are important for health. But we're able to do that here because we know the people, we know, you know, all those things about the culture. And just to hear in your own language someone share with you um, their concerns and provide you caring treatment in your own language is so important. And I know that was really valuable for my family to get that information in their language and to get care providers who understood the culture. Again, those are all the reasons why it was really important to bring that care here. And it is part of our mission to provide culturally sensitive care. And again, another opportunity for us to advance our mission and, and let our people know how much we care about them and, and giving the care here. And I understand, Joette, that many of your community community members are still interested in having traditional ceremonies, mm -hmm. traditional healers, and that you're at the hospital very welcoming of that integrative care. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. We are very, um, again, it's part of our mission, but not just because it's part of our mission, but because it's the right thing to do. We have uh, Office of Native and um, Tribal Medicine, Traditional Medicine, and um, it's this office provides um, our patients with connections to traditional healers. Um, we're able to set them up with, um, provide them referrals so they can see a traditional healer or a medicine man. They can have certain ceremonies or blessings done here. Um, and um, I, I, a lot of our patients and our staff take advantage of these programs. And so it's really, again, an op another way that we continue to care for our community and make sure people get the whole care, not just the, the managing their med medical condition, but making sure that we um, provide care for the whole patient and their family. Families can also participate in those ceremonies. And in fact, it's important that they, that they do. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, um, Joette. Uh I want to bring up another issue. I've read for uh, that for decades, and especially during the Cold War, the federal government was mining for uranium on the Navajo Nation. Now the mines have been abandoned. They were never properly closed, never properly capped. In fact, there are over 525 abandoned uranium mines on the Navajo Nation. What do we know about the health effects of these mines 
on the health and well-being of the Navajo uh, of the Navajo people. Can you speak for a moment or two to that? Yes, that's a really good question. We are challenged with um, these open and abandoned mines that continue to be across the reservation. There is a concentration of some of these mines in the local community of Cameron, um, and that's less than 20 miles from us. We are seeing a lot of um, cancer um, diagnoses made from those that small community. Abandoned mines remain open, and by that, it's causing, it gets into the environment, the vegetation, the water, the soil, these affect where we live. It's where we live. It's where our children play. It's where our livestock are out in the environment. And so in turn, we're seeing a lot of GI-related cancers and other type cancers that are exponentially greater than when compared to the general population. There are several studies that are happening um, today that demonstrate, again, the concerns with health. The Navajo birth cohort study done by the NIH has demonstrated some um, correlations with the high levels of uranium in the environment and then the health conditions of our people. So there's some correlations they've made there. But again, we're seeing a lot of our cancers are GI-related cancers because, again, our tribal people are very connected to the land and to have our land um, disrupted um, by uranium is a real concern mentally also, um, and then as well as physically as a um, physical, our medical conditions that we're seeing as a result of these things. Uh, I appreciate that, that context and understanding the correlation between some of the health issues that you're facing there. Um, Joette, let me ask you this, what advice do you have for folks who would like to support American Indians work in partnership with you to improve healthcare and access? I know that trust is a big factor that there have been many, many broken promises as it relates to our American Indians. So I know that trust is a big issue. Um, are there other considerations? What advice do you have for somebody who's listening who wants to jump in and, and, and work side by side with you to help address some of these challenges? That's a really good question. And I, I wish people considered that before jumping in because, um, you know, we have a lot of, um, there's always a lot of needs, but how you approach the Native community is really important. You mentioned trust. Again, broken promises generations of, of trauma that have happened to the people. So trust is really important. And so sometimes when, you're, when you come to a, a tribal reservation, when you come to Navajo, you, know, you wanna make sure that you listen and observe. You'll notice, I think people, most people who come and, and come into our community, um, they see that the, the people really care about each other. People come with stereotypes. You wanna make sure you understand your stereotypes and acknowledge those biases you might have. And so coming to the community, you want to make sure, one, you really listen and observe, because I think you'll take away a lot from that. Also, working in this community, it's always important to respect our elders. That's something we're always taught and respect the land. And you see the person as a whole, not just a part to fix, and then you're done. There's a lot of, when in developing these relationships with with our community, and even as a nurse at the bedside with the patient, you know, relating to them, talking to them, listening to the patient and their family. I think sometimes we come in with a preconceived notion and, um, or we think we're just going to fix this one thing, but no, these, these issues have years and um, a lot of history behind them. So it's not about just fixing. Yeah. 
coming in to really um, develop the relationship and the trust of the people and, and, and be able to help and teach us as Native how to make, improve things, not just come in and fix it and, and think that it's all done and fixed. Because these, again, are issues that have long-standing histories. And so a lot of, I think, patience and, and getting to know the people is always really important. So, Duet, in closing, I could talk to you all day about the about these themes, and I'm so grateful that you're joining us today. But let, let me ask you this in closing. So you're in this new role. You've had some time to transition with the outgoing CEO. You've been at the hospital for many years. I, would, I just want to ask you, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful about the future? Are you, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you're, you've, you've crafted a vision for the hospital and for the community and for your people there. Um, and I know that there are many challenges and barriers that are in the way, but I would just like to know how you feel about uh, about whether you have hope hope for the future and are optimistic about um, next steps there in Tuba City. Thank you for that question. I'm very optimistic. I think as um, we've gone through the pandemic, we've met these challenges. I'm really, I appreciate the vision and the support by our board because it's that energy of, of my leadership team here wanting to change things. And so that makes me really optimistic. I think um, as far as Navajo having got 638, I see the, the opportunities that are there and how we can really affect change. And that's why I got into nursing, is being able to affect that change, being part of something, you know, I know it's kind of cliche-ish, being part of something bigger than yourself. However, that's really what, what I'm just really optimistic about, to, be, to, be, to make an impact to the community. I'm from the community. Um, my senior leadership team, uh, over 80, 90% of us are from the community. So it's always really exciting that we can be um, change agents for our people to bring care that's needed. I've used this before, you know, with all the health disparities that we see, we have this, we're standing in the gap. And as a leader, as senior leaders and executive leadership here at Tuba City Regional, we have an opportunity to close that gap. And what better way to do it than by people who know and live here and have that lived experience and also have the, the degrees um, and the, the wisdom of our elders and the support of our board of directors and the support of our Navajo Nation to be able to do the work that we're doing. And so I'm very optimistic. I, I believe that things are going to change. We can continue to look forward to what else we at Tuba City Regional, but what else we can be accomplished here on Navajo with the kind of energy and support we've received. Fantastic, Joette. I just want to congratulate you again on this new role. I want to congratulate your amazing and passionate staff and your board of directors for the vision they have in bringing great care um, to your community there in Tuba City and throughout the Navajo Nation. Uh, we're so thrilled that you were able to join us today. You really have opened our eyes to so many important issues. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise, your many rich and meaningful experiences with us. This is Raising Our Voices for Health Equity. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Please join us for our next episode as we continue to shine a light on these important issues.